Let's do some exploring. Our topic is compassionate capitalism, not ordinary capitalism, the compassionate kind. Does that sound like utopia? Strictly woo? Is it even possible? Let's dig in. Today, let's look at a couple of inexpensive solutions that any of us can take on. Listen, tackling the global ruin is most assuredly confusing. And while I believe that a good chunk falls on the shoulders of business, and I will get there, I promise, today I want to share a few ideas for you to noodle around. I recently came across a lady named Karen Armstrong, and I thought some of her ideas fit our discussions here. Karen Armstrong is one of the world's leading commentators on religious affairs. She spent seven years as a Roman Catholic nun, but left her order in 1969 to read English at St. Anne's College in Oxford in the UK. In 1982, she became a full-time writer and broadcaster, and currently she is the author of 16 books and has been awarded with honors and prizes across the globe. Now, why on earth would I introduce a religious scholar into our discussion? Definitely not to proselytize, I assure you, but to add some nuance around how we see ourselves and our world. As an aside, when I was around 30 years old, I spent a two-week holiday and read every single major religion of the world. Hey, when something interests me, I totally geek out, (laughs) holidays or not. And my caveat was that the religion could not believe in a power that rested with man. I was only interested in those religions that believed in a higher power greater than man. So at the end of the two weeks, I decided that every single major religion had two commonalities. The first one was love is the foundation of everything. And the second one, the golden rule, was paramount. You remember the do unto others as you would have them do unto you? In my opinion, one cannot go wrong by following these two things. There was, however, a piece that I did not pick up, and that is why when I first heard Karen talk, she grabbed my attention immediately. She was discussing her latest book, Sacred Nature. And she says that all primary religions, except Christianity and Judaism, put nature at the center of the beliefs. That for most of human history, and in almost all the world's cultures, nature was believed to be sacred, and our god or gods were present everywhere in the natural world. Which meant the golden rule of do unto others included nature, like birds, beasts, water, land, air, and sun, just as much as it included fellow humans, to exactly the same high regard. Now, you might ask which religions hold nature conjoined with humans in high regard and treat all as holy. Well, here's a sampling. Hinduism, Islam, Sikhism, Eastern and Chinese Orthodoxy, Buddhism, Taoism, and traditional spirituality. She also says that Christianity and Judaism do not put nature at the center of their beliefs because man is at the center of their belief. Apparently, God said, 
Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth, and all the small animals that scurry along the ground. And that phrase, reign over, is what has essentially been our downfall. Unfortunately, Christianity and Judaism never taught and never focused on a spiritual bond with nature. Everything was primarily around man's bond with God. So when people, mainly in the West, began to separate God and nature in modern times, it was not just a profound breach with thousands of years of accumulated wisdom. It also set in motion the train to the destruction of the natural world. And I think we can all agree that it is to nature we go to feel as one with the world. It is nature that we go to unclutter our minds and we go to to find the best in ourselves. How sad then to know that only a few of us go to nature to find and commune with our higher power. I personally see nature as the great restorer. We go for long walks, sometimes in a forest, sometimes along water, always in a patch of green or blue, to let go of our troubles, to restore our souls, and to emerge brighter, rested, and dare I say, content. Well, accordingly, according to Karen Armstrong, if we want to avert environmental catastrophe, it's not enough to change our behavior. We also need to learn to think and feel differently about the natural world and to rekindle our spiritual bond with nature. We must embrace some of the concepts from the other religions which hold nature in high regard and see the divine in nature and want to do unto others as everyone and everything. In other words, we need to look at nature differently because the truth is, the more we destroy nature, the less there is for us to restore ourselves. Now this year, particularly with the passing of Queen Elizabeth II, the conversation about colonialism has really come into sharp focus. Colonialism was a distorted view based on Christian teachings that the white men had a superior intellect because they believed in a certain God, and therefore they had the right to proselytize and convert with force all those they came in contact with. No one can argue that the white man removed the identities of so many peoples, enslaved those people to do their biddings, and raped and pillaged both the human capital and the raw resource capital they came in contact with. Now, interestingly, I have yet to meet anyone who agrees that colonialism was a good thing. I also have yet to meet anyone who can agree about how to make things right in any form. So let me offer you an idea. The globe is in trouble, and it is clear that we, the white man, have made that mess. And it is clear that none of us can come up with decent solutions to fix it. Well, every country began many centuries ago as a piece of land 
occupied and tended to by natives or pagans or Indians or indigenous people, as we like to label everyone. Those people understood the land, the beasts, the water, and the plants. Those people held their piece of nature in high regard, with as much regard as their families and their friends. The education those people held has been refined and passed down through the generations, and today there are places where that education still reigns supreme. I hear frequently how most of us do not trust our politicians, and yet we moan and groan that the only way to make meaningful change is to vote in the right party. I say poppycock. We can make meaningful change at the grassroots level, and that change will permeate upwards and sideways. So how about this? Number one. Invite an Indigenous person skilled in the ways of nature to join and co-lead the many environmental efforts. Who better to see a path forward than someone whose family history spans generations of living on the land? Number two, hire an Indigenous person to lead the environmental stewardship activities of your organization, whether that organization is nonprofit, profit, local, regional, national, or international. Number three, stop the annoying practice of proclaiming we are gathered here today on the lands of the whatever tribe and we recognize blah, 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 blah. Those are just meaningless phrases designed to make the white man feel better for all their sins of the past. Four, acknowledge that your country was founded by the indigenous people or the people you claim squatters' rights over. And if founded is a tough pill to swallow, then acknowledge that there are two parties who founded your country way back when those who came before you and you, and make all decisions jointly. At the very least, this will move the Indigenous people from last place in society to finally closer to the top. And the fifth, actively recruit those from different religions into your groups and organizations, not to convert anyone, to educate everyone. There is no one right point of view anymore if there ever was. And today, more than ever, it is good to have the nuances of several points of view, as opposed to the militancy of right or wrong. Each of these five suggestions do not require our populations to vote. We can each take the lead and begin to shift our own perspectives without the help of the government. Yes, help would be nice, but it is not necessary. I'll say this forever and ever. If we knew the unintended consequences of the actions that we took 20, 30, 50, 75, and even 200 years ago, I believe we would ask for a do-over. And since we can't do a do-over, what we must do now is a do-better. And that do-better must be 
in the highest good of all.